0: I'm so glad you're listening to our podcast again, uh, unless this is your first time, in which case I'm glad you're listening. Um, I'm Pastor Jeffrey. I'm the primary voice you always hear on these things. I uh, This really has just turned into a podcast for the uh, service of the Word that we have in worship every Sunday. We always put it out on Wednesdays, and the previous Sunday is the one that we put out. And um, I always go through the four readings in the Revised Common Lectionary. Some Sundays, man, am I on fire. And it's engaging, and it's uh, exciting. Other Sundays, not so much. This last Sunday, uh, I'm not going to say I was boring. I don't think I'm boring, but um, it's a little more all over the place. We talked about some real stuff, and I'm glad for the stuff we talked about. But, you know, not every Sermon can be a home run, and I don't think that's a fair expectation. I think the thing that matters is, are you spending time in the Word? Are you seeking the meaning of the text? Not my personal meaning, but the meaning. And so it's just important to spend time in that way, intentionally seeking uh, the Word. And so, uh, of course, it is your prerogative. You should always be doing that on your own but also it's good to use pastors just as a model for how to think through things. I'm also going to say uh, there are times when I give a message that I don't think is very good, but someone is very impacted. So there are also times when I give a message that I think is awesome and nobody hears it that way. This is just the nature of human things and divine things. There's just a, oh, I don't know. It's not, I'm not going to go off the deep end on that one, but I do hope it's a blessing to you to spend time in the word with me. I hope uh you're glad to pray for this church that I'm so blessed to lead. It's a really good church and we just disaffiliated from the United Methodist Church denomination and we're figuring out what the future needs to look like. We're figuring out what denomination we want to belong to. We're we're clear on one thing and that's we're always going to be Methodist. We're always going to follow the doctrine, discipline and spirit with which John Wesley and the early Methodists set out, but beyond that, we're not sure. The future is a very open place, and it's exciting. It's also intimidating. want to make the right decision, so just ask that you would uh, pray for this church. Pray for me as I try and lead the church responsibly, um, but more importantly for right now, go ahead and pray for yourself, that you can receive God's Word despite the failings of the pastor offering this meditation and reflection. So God bless you as you attend upon God's Word with me. As always, I want to exhort you to draw close to the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. The church is a the people. And so uh, pray about coming and joining us this Sunday. God bless you. Hope you enjoy the message. Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world.
1: Morning. Today's first reading comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, which you can find on page 1530 of your pew Bibles. Let's listen to the Word of God. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, And breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God.
0: So this is uh, an account from Acts of the Apostles of what the people of God looked like, how they lived immediately following Pentecost. So let's get clear. Does God change? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Does the New Testament, does the new covenant established by Christ Jesus, does that change? Does the Holy Spirit change? Okay, so those things don't change. Do human cultures change? Absolutely. Absolutely they change. Do we change at different points of our lives? Yes, there's a lot of change in life. There are some things that do not change. Change And knowing the difference between those things is part of what it takes to be wise. Here's the things that do change. Here's the things that don't. God doesn't change. The new covenant in Christ Jesus doesn't change. The Holy Spirit doesn't change. Here, the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles, and they led a transformed way of life together. And what were its markers? What things did you hold on to from when Carl was reading a second ago? They ate and worshipped together how frequently? (laughs) Daily. Daily they were together. They ate together. They worshipped together. What else? Anything else? They liquidated their assets, monetary assets, and they were used for God's glory for the benefit of their fellow man. All, there was no private property. Everything that indi- every individual member had was shared in common with the rest of the assembly. Remember, assembly, the, the Greek word for church is ekklesia, and it means assemble, a, a, assembly, a group of people. So this is the group of people who had died the self, repented, been baptized in the, uh, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, were now leading new lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how they lived together. They were together all the time. They shared all their stuff. They worshiped together, sung together, ate together. They submitted themselves to the instruction of the apostles. I'm going to read it again, verse 44. And all that believed were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and good and parted them to all men as every man had need. And when it says men, it means people. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, Praising God and having favor with all the people. Sorry, I'm going to go there in my Bible. One second. It says verses 42 through 47, but in my copy it only picked up at verse 44. And 42 is important. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. That has some other details that are pretty important. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What does doctrine mean? Teaching. Message. When you indoctrinate someone, that's not always bad. It depends on what you're indoctrinating them into. Does the church have a doctrine? Yes, it's the teaching of Christ Jesus handed to his apostles that have handed it down through the centuries. That's our doctrine. Everyone who came to Christ Jesus continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That's being together. And many wonders and signs were... No, wait, no, wait, no, wait. And in the breaking of bread, that's eating together, and in prayers. We know what that is. And fear came upon every soul. If you don't have, if fear is not a part of your faith, if you've never had any fear of the Lord, I'm not sure that you have a biblical faith. Now, it grace that taught my heart to fear, then grace my fears relieved. Yes, perfect love casts out fear. However, if any of you have been perfected in love yet, I don't know about it. I haven't been perfected in love yet. That means fear is still appropriate for me. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So fear came upon uh, every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So has the Holy Spirit changed? No, the wonders and signs are done by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. There are some Christians today called cessationists. They believe that the gifts of the spirit have ceased, that God poured out his spirit in this particular way at this time, but now he doesn't do that anymore. Why? I've never heard a good explanation. But if God is the same, if his Holy Spirit is the same, if the call of the church is the same, I have a question for you. I have a couple leading questions. First off, as it describes how the church started off, do American churches resemble this? What's the difference between the average American church and what we see here? Sorry? Greed? We're greedier now. Are are you saying like greed around money? Okay, so how did they interact around money? They shared it, 100% of it, overseen by the church, distributed for the good of many. We don't do that. Ostensibly, because we're greedier than they. Maybe. So we're all about private ownership, individuality, individualism. Americans are very extreme about that, but we didn't invent it. After just a couple centuries, Christians were not living this way anymore. Private property became more and more of a thing, and we'll, we'll come back and ask why. Are there any other differences between the average American church today? Huh? Lukewarmness. Lukewarmness. Yeah. Do these people seem like they might be like, yeah, I'm kind of a Christian. It's kind of important to me. You know, the average American is like, yeah, I'm a Christian. That's kind of how they say it. Yeah, I follow Jesus. You know, I go to church on Sundays. You know, that's not how they lived. Most churches today, if we, if we look at every aspect of our lives, money, faith, loyalty, energy, uh, passion, most, most churches are very lucky to get 10% of individual believers' lives in their church. Usually we're settling for scraps. You know, uh, Money is a great symbol of this. Money is not at all the fullness of Christian life. During the Great Depression, guess how much the average Christian gave to their church? this is real 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 stats real how much do you think no during the great depression a time of great financial anxiety average christians gave almost 10 percent of their income to their local church nowadays do you think we're wealthier or poorer than people during the great depression we're much wealthier several times wealthier the average that churches were getting 15 years ago was 2.5 percent. That does show a loss of love. Where your money is, there your heart will be also. That's what Jesus said. In the Bible, their money was with the church. 100 percent of it, not 10 percent. You know, over time, the standards dropped. Not just with money, but how many days of our life are we giving to the covenant community of Christ? For most people, one. For some people, too. hardly anybody every day. This used to be a daily community of faith. Over time, the standards dropped significantly. We're not talking half. We're not talking by a factor of three. We're talking by a factor of uh, probably 20, 30. I don't know. You probably can't make an equation out of this stuff. That's probably quite silly. So if there's, do we all agree? Well, no, I don't want to put anyone in the position of disagreeing. I'm going to pretend we all agree that the standards today set by churches for disciples are significantly lower than the original disciples. We already agree God doesn't change. His call our life doesn't change. The power of the Holy Spirit doesn't change. But we agree something changed along the line. Things are very different. Why? Okay, that's, okay, I'm not going to disagree with you. Some people didn't actually believe in Jesus. This is something people were pushing back against from the beginning. Anybody remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Everybody was liquidating all their assets. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to join. They liquidated theirs, and then they only gave some of it to the church. They pretended they were given all of it. They only gave some of it. They held back. And then when they brought it to, and laid it at Peter's feet, Peter said, Why would you do this? And... Ananias came first, and then Sapphira later, when both of them lied and held on to money for themselves, the Holy Spirit struck them dead. So ever since the beginning, the church knew that people's selfish hearts would try to retain for themselves their own opinion, their own liberty, their own way of doing things. And from the very beginning, we've been warned, the Holy Spirit will get you if you insist on doing things your own way rather than the Lord's. I would say it's not just our own wicked hearts. I would say that Satan often gets in the mix and he, makes, he turns our heart against the church. How many people, whenever they're thinking about giving more, doing more, go, well, I don't know if they would use it the way I like. Well, I don't know if they would be good about it. Oh, I don't think they need it. These are all things that Satan puts in there to make you greedy. To go, well, you know, really, I can do a better job than the church. Not really, you know. And a lot of people go, "Well, maybe back then that's what was needed, but uh, not nowadays." And we agreed, yes, the culture changed over time. We live in a very different culture today. We do. But did our culture change in such a way where now we only need to give 2.5 of ourselves, 2.5 percent of ourselves to the Lord? They had to give 100% back then, but we don't really need to now. Everything's okay. We all know that's a lie from the evil one. It's the evil one who says you can give less and still be okay. And again, I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about your entire lives. Why don't we give 100% of our lives to Christ's church? I'm not saying to No Water Methodist Church, the institution with the building. I'm saying to the assembled body of believers, true believers of Christ Jesus, the way of life that he's designated for us. Why don't we give all of ourselves to that? Why doesn't it have claim on every moment of my life, every affection that I hold, every dime that I make? Why do we not give 100%? So uh, we had greed, we had selfishness, we had, it requires us to step out of our comfort zone. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable trusting other people, isn't it? It's very uncomfortable not being in control of our stuff, isn't it? But just right there, I already showed the flaw of most people. Is your stuff really your stuff? Whose is it? God, and he's ordained a group of people to be his people here on earth. And yet, it's not even a thought in our heads. Most people, they read this and no part of them goes, hey, we should be doing this. They just go, well, things changed. On to the next scripture. We're going to have several scriptures today where the standard is set up here. I mean, this is the experience that you run into every time you read your Bible is God sets the standard up here and we're way down here. And most people learn to read the Bible going, oh, that's no big deal. It's a big deal. It is a big deal that we encounter a perfect Lord and a Savior who says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. These are supposed to be the marks of your church, and then you're coming. And I love our church, by the way. I'm not dogging our church, but our church is not like I'm finding in the Bible. And how should that make me feel? It should make me feel bad. And I'm the one in charge. I'm failing you guys. And the real dangerous thing is most of the time y'all seem pretty content for me to be failing you. We talk about how much we love each other and how good we're doing. We're really falling short of the scriptural standard, are we not? And are we even aiming at it? That's the thing that's killing me. It's like I, I spent the first two hours of my morning, I, I, there was a lot of dishes to wash. I, I got on YouTube. Some guy was just reading through passages in the New Testament that deal with the church and how it's supposed to be. And then he started reading from Ignatius and the Didache. And a lot of other uh, Polycarp, early Christian writers, and it became so abundantly clear to me that the church today is so different from the early church. And how many American Christians are not bothered by that at all? At all. It doesn't bother them that every Sunday what we're doing does not necessarily represent what early Christians were doing who actually knew Jesus. Why doesn't it bother us? Do we agree it should bother us? The thing is, here, I'm going to give you the answer. Well, there's probably like 10 answers. I'll give you like two. One is, we as humans have a way of getting comfortable with things that we should not be comfortable with. And I'm not just talking about religion. There are things in almost every single one of our lives that are not good. But they've always been that way. And we just don't know what else to do. We're not uncomfortable with it. It's all we've ever known. It takes someone from the outside stepping in and going, hey, that's really messed up. Why are you doing that? Why are you allowing that in your life? And that's one of the things the church is supposed to be doing, watching over one another with love, looking at each other's lives and going, hey, how do you explain that? That don't make any sense to me. And then we get real defensive and go, oh, what? you don't know what you're talking about. And that's when we're sh- exposing that we're not the true church yet, when we're defensive with each other. How dare you judge me? Oh, I don't want to share my life with you. That's the whole point of the church. That's what they were doing. They were gathering daily. You think they didn't notice things about each other? That they weren't commenting on each other's lives? This is about the most invasive interpersonal thing that a person can sign up for, walking with Jesus. Do we imagine that Jesus let his 12 disciples have their own space, do things their own way? Do we imagine that his apostles said, well, he was really hard on us, but we're gonna be easier on you. No, there is one way that leads to life, to abundant life. It's the way of Christ Jesus. And it scrutinizes every aspect of your life. It it demands 100% of your life. And if you are not there, then why do we expect to be saved? If we're given 2.5% and the standard started at 100%, why do we think that we're going to be saved? Zachary says you're not going to. Now, don't don't get me wrong. It's not works that save us, it's faith alone that saves us, but faith without works is dead. And if what's expected is 100%, here let me camp out for just a second. Uh, please don't start giving 100% of your income to the church. We're not prepared for that yet. <laughs> so if you're, if you're starting to write off what I'm saying, he's talking about giving 100% of my wealth to the church, chill out. We're not putting that together yet i will be honest with you i am aiming for that long term i don't need my own stuff the the things that god gives me to protect that are mine is my wife and my kids no one's taken those from me but my house my car my my money all that it belongs to god the moment this church gets to the place where we can share it in the holy spirit i want to do it there is nothing of mine that i'm going to keep separate from god and his people So if you, I want to make sure y'all are aiming at that with me. I want to make sure that despite all the good that we have here, that we're not being content with that, but we're hungering and thirsting for the perfect righteousness of Christ Jesus. Because if we get content with anything less, I think that's where Satan wants us. That's the thing. That's where I'm coming from. And I think that Satan wants us to think, oh, we're just these people in no water. We don't know what we need to know. We don't have the resources and assets we need to have. Satan wants us thinking, oh, we just can't do it. It's not reasonable. Oh, all these people I've known and loved over the years, they didn't set that standard. Surely, I don't need to live by that standard. Satan does all kinds of things so that we encounter this in the Bible and just go, well, that's weird. On to the next thing. One of my favorite biblical scholars is Michael Heiser, and he says, anything in the Bible you encounter that's weird, it's important. Most people, when they read through the Bible, they encounter something weird. They go, oh, that's weird, and they move on. The faithful one comes to something weird in the Bible and goes, I don't understand that, and so I probably need to. And whenever I'm running into a church where in the beginning they don't even seem to have questioned each other's motives, they just gave all they had to one another, and they walked faithfully together, and we see, oh, that's not happening here for me, we're supposed to go, why not? And how can I, how can I get closer to that? How can, our, how can our church get closer to that? You know, if I if I like got up here and I did a decree and I said, we're gonna be like this tomorrow, I would expect all but like two of you to run off. But it's my job as pastor to provide a fertile planting ground for that so that someday I don't even have to say it, we're just doing it. And if I'm not leading you there, then odds are when we get to Jesus uh the gospel reading today he's going to be talking about the good shepherd and how he behaves he says there's thieves that come in other ways and they try and steal away the sheep and that's who i am if i'm not leading you to jesus if i'm not leading the church towards the biblical vision of the church then i am not in christ i'm not of christ i'm of the evil one and he seeks to steal kill and destroy and you need to chase me out of this pulpit you need a pastor that's going to lead you to the true community of christ jesus that's what we're aiming at here today together every day so we'll, we'll we'll cover the rest of the scriptures but it's going to be rooted in that sermon right there that was the nugget right there if you if you if you're already mad at me you can just leave and meditate on it at home because i'm going to tell you i want you to go home and i want you to meditate on this not for an hour for the rest of the week you know i'm saying hundred percent i'm saying each day of the week i want you coming back to this thought and going why am i not giving more of myself to god Why am I not giving more of what he's given me to his mission here on earth? Why am I so content at 2.5% or 5% or 0.5%? How can I give more? Am I just talking about money? Well, I don't go to that church. The pastor's always talking about money. The greedy, he's always got his hands out. I haven't heard anybody say that about me. And I better not. all right you may be seated our psalm is number uh on page 137 it's psalm 23. and we always uh this is easter so we're singing response to we've sung this several times before the good shepherd comes that we may have life and have it abundantly Oh, you put the wrong response in there. Sorry. Okay, yeah, y'all can't trust this. That's Sarah Beth's fault for once. <laughs> it's not mine for once. All right, so yeah, it, it's printed on page 137 of your Um And so uh, if you've done this before, remember, she, she plays that part. And then we come in. The good shepherd comes. All right, let's do that once, and then uh, Cody will lead us through the psalm. The good shepherd comes that we may have life and have it abundantly. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The good shepherd comes. Let's let's go on to our third reading, and as our third uh, reader is, is reading, what I want us to think about is where is the biblical standard, what is the Bible clearly saying here, and then where am I at, and how can I close that distance? And spoiler alert, this has to do with how we acknowledge authority in our lives.
1: Today's third reading comes from the first letter of Peter, the second chapter Verses 11 through 25, which you can find on page 1707 of your Pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy. If a man of conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do, it, do well, and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to that. Committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishops of your soul. This is the word of God.
0: So I preached on First Peter before Lent began. And if you missed that sermon series, you can go back. So earlier, I assumed the podcast Jeff was talking about was plain spoken, but the church also has one that just has my sermons from previous weeks. So the whole Roman series we did, it's on there. The whole First and Second Peter series, it's on there. You can go back. It's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, also, I do a, a weekly mailing that, that's aimed at discipleship. And it always has a short article that I write up. I send it out on Fridays. And this last one intersected with this theme here in verse 16 um, as free and not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness. Are we free in Christ? Yes. Can we really use that freedom however we want to and expect for God to be happy with us? No, that freedom is meant... To be used with a sense of noblesse oblige which is the notion that with great power comes great responsibility the notion that god gives us things for not our benefit but for his glory and the benefit of others that's that's a whole notion so if we are free and we are free indeed then we use that freedom not as a cloak of maliciousness not following the desires and lusts of our own hearts but doing what brings glory to god and benefit of others so that's that's one thing is If I am free, do I identify as free? There are a lot of people that don't identify as free. Oh, if I just had more more money, I could do this way. Oh, if I had more friends, or if I didn't have this awful family that chains me down. Are you free or not? If you're free, you shouldn't be going through life wanting more. You have everything you need. Amen? Amen? But secondly, it has this whole thing dealing with authority. And it's, yes, authority within the church. They didn't have a problem with authority in the church to begin with. They had the apostles. They studied directly under Jesus. Everybody submitted to them, no problem. But what do we do with the state? Do we submit to the state? And here he's saying yes. Now, lest we go kind of crazy here and say do whatever the state says, the the clear scriptural instruction is insofar as it doesn't harm your faith. So in Acts of the Apostles, whenever the state was intervening and compelling them to go against their faith, they said, we fear God, not you. And we're going to do what God commands and not you. But here he says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And what it starts saying is, there are authority figures in your life that you are called to submit to, not because they are just, but because your submission towards them reflects your submission to God. And that's why it gets into, it's not a big deal if you suffer for doing bad things. You shouldn't be doing bad things, but if you suffer for doing good things from an authority figure or from somebody else, that's great. Because then that makes you like Jesus. Did Jesus suffer at the hands of sinners? Did he do anything wrong ever? He was a perfect, sinless lamb. And they killed him. They harmed him. They they tortured him and killed him. And we're called to be like him. So as I said before we got to this, the scripture sets the standard of people who pour themselves out for others while they are killing us. We don't defend ourselves. We don't malign them while they are harming us. What was Jesus' prayer for the people that were killing him while they were killing him? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And when you see Stephen, the first martyr being killed, he echoes that sentiment. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's how you and I are called to live. Not people defending ourselves, talking about what we deserve, talking about how we're victims. We are free and we use that freedom to love and serve others as they are killing us. Isn't that wild? I'll tell you what is wild is that so many people claim the name of Christ, and then when they hear a thought like that, they go, oh, God forbid. Oh, I could never be that way. Well, that's the Christian call. That's how he calls every single believer to live. Not as kings in charge of everything, but as servants like Jesus. Now, was Jesus a king? Yeah. And he'll be seen as that on the last day. And you and I will be revealed to be like him on the last day. But here and now in this life, we serve we suffer. This is not a message, you know, you notice this message I'm preaching today, it's not found in a lot of American pulpits. American pulpits are God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. He doesn't require anything from you except a check in the offering plate and come to worship every now and again. Oh, it's so easy. Why would anyone not want to be a Christian? The answer, if you read your Bible, is because it's hard. It demands everything of you. How I'm, how I'm looking at this, and I know some people would, you know, I read articles that are very discouraging to churches our size. You know, they, they were talking about this last week, a church got closed down against their will, and it said they were only seeing 50 in worship every week. And I'm going, we're seeing, we're seeing about that many, maybe a, a bit less. Are you saying that our church could close down and it's no big deal? And that is the inference there. For a lot of people, a church should be at least 100 people gathered every Sunday, ideally like 1,000. So far as I'm concerned, there are lots of churches with 200, 2,000 where not a single one of them could bear to hear the message of the gospel. I think you have entire church buildings full of people who don't really love Jesus for who he is, don't love his word, don't want the bitter medicine of the gospel, and you have 2,000 people sitting in a sanctuary where none of them are going to be welcome on the last day. Christ is going to say, I don't know you because you don't know me. The way is easy. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to damnation. And there are many who find that. The gate is narrow and the way is difficult that leads to salvation and very few find it. We have easy Sundays where we talk about easy things. I know we don't have as many as most churches, but even so, we have easy Sundays where there's nothing but good feelings. We need to hold ourselves against the standard of the scriptures and get uncomfortable because we're not meeting it, are we? Okay, so let's imagine that we have two years to prepare for a marathon, and we're all 40 years We're all 20 years old. OK? We're all 30 years old. Okay? We have two years to prepare for a marathon. We're 30 years old. Are we feeling good? We have two years to prepare. We're great. OK, but I've wasted the first year. I haven't gotten any fitter. How should I feel? I still got a whole year. It doesn't take a whole year to train to be marathon. I just have to complete it. But then I haven't done anything and I've got a month left. Should I start worrying? I worry and I worry, but I turn on Netflix and I get on the internet and I'm scrolling Facebook and I'm doing other, I'm worrying about other things. And all of a sudden I've got a week to get ready for this marathon and I am flabby and out of shape and I've been eating a bad diet. Should I be worried? I I almost don't have a prayer at that point, but maybe if I do it just right, I've got an hour. I haven't trained. I'm very far from the standard. Should I worry? That's the situation that believers are in with the day of the Lord. We don't know when it's coming. It could be in an hour. It could be. It could be in 60 seconds. All of a sudden, we hear the trumpet blast and it's over. It's too late. It could be in 10,000 years. But the question is not when is it? The question is, am I getting ready? Am I at all training for that day? Am I at all conforming my life to the standard of Christ Jesus? Or am I taking for granted that, that the goalposts are always gonna move for me because God just thinks I'm so great? He'll give me time. How many people say that all through their life? I've got more time. I can do, I can more time, more time. You know, I got other things I'm gonna focus on now, I got later, I got later. That's most people. Most people assume they've got more time. Most people put it off till tomorrow. It doesn't go well for those people. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to hold us to that standard. We need to be looking at where Christ calls us to be, looking at we are, and feeling like, I've got to move. I've got to start training now. Because if we're comfortable down here, what's going to make us move? I don't know i should have like some like really zinger thing to really plow at home but i'm not a zinger pastor i'm a (laughs) i'm the opposite of that whatever that is our final reading this morning is from the gospel of john chapter 10 verses 1 through 10 you can find it on page 1505 of your pew bibles this is jesus himself speaking listen to the word of god verily verily i say unto you he that entereth not by the door "...into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth." Porter is one who guards the door. "...and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him." for they know not the voice of strangers. The parable spake Jesus this parable spake Jesus unto them. But they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, verily verily I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me if any man enter in, He shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ has established a very high standard of discipleship for us. And is it because he's a jerk who just likes manipulating us? Absolutely not. It's because he's a loving father who wants good things for us. He wants us to have abundant life. And so as we hear this reading from First Peter establishing this high level of non-retaliation, as we hear these standards and acts of the apostles about daily fellowship, eating together, praying together, sharing our stuff together, all of those things are there because that's what abundant life looks like. Any pastor with this altar is going to look at this scripture and is going to remind you there is no way to the Father except through Jesus. There is no way to be saved outside of Jesus. Anyone, it doesn't matter how nice they are, how much good works they do, how much we love them, if they are not in Christ Jesus, they cannot and will not be saved. But the main thing I'm focusing on today is we have a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. We know his voice. We're supposed to. How do you, if you don't know the voice of Jesus, how do you get to know that voice? How do you get to know what words I'm hearing, you're hearing, are from Jesus and what are from other spirits? How do you get that discernment? Read your Man, it's like I've been preaching it, y'all, for eight years. <laughs> which I have been. Read your Bible. If it doesn't fit with the Bible, it's not Jesus. It's not the good shepherd. It's not the gate. It's some other voice. It's someone who snuck in as trying to fool you. It's the evil one trying to steal you, kill you, destroy you. But if it's the voice of Jesus... Are you his sheep? Yes. Then follow. What if it looks like it'll be really uncomfortable to follow? Should you still follow? Yes. What if it doesn't make sense to you? Should you still follow? Yes. What if it goes through the valley of the shadow of death? Should you still follow? Yes. Because what's on the other side of that valley of the shadow of death? Green pastures. Green pastures. Still waters when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that'll be when we all sing jesus see jesus we'll sing and shout let's be victorious stand and sing our closing hymn number 361 rock of ages